Hey there, I'm Andrew Yeager, and this is WBHM Politics. The New Year's just a few days old, but political junkies don't have to wait long before having something to sink their teeth into. The Alabama legislature will serve up a feast as lawmakers start the 2018 regular session Tuesday. It's the first full session for Governor Kay Ivey. It's also an election year. And of course, there are many bills that hope to avoid being eaten up in legislative death. We'll talk about what's to come in this year's session with two longtime journalists in Montgomery. Kim Chandler is the State House reporter with the Associated Press. Kim, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Also, Brian Lyman. He's the state government reporter for the Montgomery Advertiser. Brian, good to have you here. Thanks. A pleasure to be here. Well, as I thought about this session, I was thinking two years ago, we had a session with a Speaker of the House who was under indictment. Uh, last year, we had a governor who was under a cloud. Uh, this year, we don't have any of that. And, and Kim, just in general, what would you say the mood is among legislators heading into this year? Uh, well, things are relatively calm by comparison compared to where they have been. Um, lawmakers are going into an election year. They have primaries in June, and that's going to color much of what you see beginning in the session next week. Yeah, Brian, how does having an election, how does that affect things? The impression I get from speaking with a lot of legislators is they want to get done with this session as soon as possible and deal with as little controversy as possible. And that's not just because of the scandals that have consumed government these past two years. They want to get back home to their districts and you know be able to talk you know, talk to voters and, and do all that. The, the general impression I've gotten from legislators, and obviously events can intervene, is they really just want to do their constitutional obligations, which is to pass the two budgets that the state has and maybe avoid anything that might slow the session down and then go home and get back on the campaign trail. It's the first full session for Governor Kay Ivey. Do we have a sense of how she may approach this session? I think you're going to see her try to make a little bit of her mark, propose uh, a few initiatives that she'll unveil in more detail in her first State of the State address on opening night of the session. Uh, there's talk that she's going to be focusing on rural broadband. She's continuing to push a uh, solution to the court order facing the state on prisons. I've heard rumblings that there may be something on education infrastructure, a bond issue to help schools with you know repairs and such. So you're going to see her try to establish herself as her own governor and prepare for that very crucial first election. Well, uh, Brian, you mentioned that constitutional obligation, pass a budget. What is the outlook for the budgets, I guess, starting with the education budget? Well, the education budget, from what I've heard, is is in decent shape. How decent shape, uh, we, we don't know yet. But uh, I spoke with Bill Poole, the uh, House Education Budget Chairman before Christmas, and he was talking broadly about the things that legislators like to talk about, for instance, a teacher pay raise, pre-K funding money for classrooms, what's going to get prioritized, uh, that's going to be anybody's guess. But, you know, the education budget is usually not the problem child. The problem child is typically the general fund budget, which funds everything that's not education. Yeah, and how does that look? Uh, well, you know, uh, Steve Klaus, who's the chairman of the budget, may have the toughest job in the legislature. And he sounded surprisingly optimistic when I when I last spoke with him. I mean, and this is optimism in terms of the general fund, but he sounded like they were in, they, they felt like they're in good shape. You know, they, they have growing revenues from an internet sales tax in that budget. So, so they feel 
fairly good about it. And there's even some talk from senators that there even might be a possible cost of living increase for state employees, which has not occurred since 2008. But there's also a lot of talk that, you know, we could just see this, you know, level funding for most state agencies. And as Kim was saying, you know, they've still got to deal with the prison situation, especially on mental health funding. And as always, Medicaid is, is something that consumes much the greatest portion of that budget. The big mm-hmm. unknown for the general fund is what's going to happen with the children's health insurance program. Right. Law Makers, uh, Klaus very perhaps wisely made sure that we had some money held back. But if Congress doesn't reauthorize that program, some of that funding the state is going to have to pick up itself for the portion called MCHIP. And that will drain a good part of that money that has been squirreled away, mm-hmm. making slim pickings for everybody else. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's about $93 million that was set aside. And that doesn't go very far when That's you're talking right. about health insurance uh, costs. Yeah. And, and like they're hoping to put that into Medicaid and they may end up needing it for CHIP. Well, getting more specific, prisons has been an issue the last couple of sessions that has dominated. Former Governor Robert Bentley had a prison plan that, that failed a couple of times. Kim, Do we expect to see this issue back on the table and in what form, what way? It will be back on the table in front of lawmakers in the terms of funding to increase mental health staff and correctional staff in prisons. Chairman Klaus and other lawmakers I've talked to says that's a priority. We have to show the judge that we are making progress and upping those staffing levels to comply with the order. I don't anticipate seeing a prison construction component However, there is talk that Ivy might try to do that separately with her own authority to try to authorize some construction. However, that is not definitive at this point. There is this lawsuit over Alabama prisons right now. Um, Brian, does that drive the conversation or how does that drive the conversation? Judge Thompson last June said that the prisons were horrendously inadequate when it came to mental health care. And basically what he told both the state and plaintiffs for the inmates who sued was come up with a solution and like what, let's see what happens. Looming over this is that if Thompson doesn't think that solution is adequate, he could order them to, to find a solution, which in the past Alabama has done that's proven to be very, very expensive. And sometimes in other states, it could lead to anything from, you know, like the release of inmates to even like the loss of, you know, control of part of your prison system. So that's something that's likely going to prove, you know, like to get people going on on, on this. Stuff. I, the last thing anybody wants is for federal intervention in the state's prisons. Yeah, it seems to me, um, Senator Cam Ward of, of Alabaster, this has been his issue for many years, and that's one of his lines, is that we want to make these decisions. We don't want the federal government to make these decisions. And it sounds like that message is, is getting some resonance. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, too. I, I mean, you know, we obviously have these mental health issues. But then if you look at the current state of prison overcrowding in, in, in the state's prisons, it's it's at the lowest point it's been in more than a decade. I mean, you know, reforms that the legislature passed in 2013 and 2015 appear to be having an impact, at least certainly in the close security prisons and the medium security prisons. Those are still fairly overcrowded. But there is there is a sense that this is a problem that we have to fix before somebody comes in and fixes it for us. Well, along with this idea, there has been a juvenile justice reform task force that's been meeting. And Kim, what has come out of that or what do we expect from that? 
I talked to Cam Ward yesterday about uh, about that task force, and he is expecting a package of bills, or at least one bill, uh, primarily trying to emphasize community corrections programs, treatment, diversion uh, for these very young offenders. As he says, we are putting children, locking up children for offenses that a 25-year-old typically wouldn't go to prison for. Uh, so that will be one issue before lawmakers. Certainly. And this whole discussion around prisons, around uh, justice reform, it seems like um, nibbling around the edges in a certain sense, as opposed to former Governor Bentley's plans were these big sweeping overhauls. Um, does that seem to be a fair characterization? Well, I think Bentley's proposal was only sweeping as in that it was a massive, nearly billion-dollar construction project. And construction seems to be going a little bit more towards the back burner as the state continues to look at sentencing reform. And as Brian mentioned, it was the sentencing reform package that the state passed earlier that is beginning to push those numbers down as far as crowding. I mean, I should say, too, like, you know, the juvenile justice uh stuff has really come mostly from the legislature. Like I know, for instance, you know, as Kim said, you know, Cam Ward has obviously been a leading light on this. You know, Vivian Figures, uh, Senator from Mobile, has also been pushing for these kinds of reforms for years. So this, to me, has been a a legislative initiative for many years. Republicans are firm control of the legislature, um, and House Republicans offered up their agenda last month, called it the Flag, Family, and Country Agenda. Brian, what's in this agenda? It's it's a very light agenda. There's nothing really like especially striking in that agenda, particularly in, like compared to years previous. I, to me, and I spoke with the folks who framed that agenda, and, and you know the, the sense was is these are all the bills that we can get the caucus to agree on. So I mean, I think you know, for instance, I believe there's a bill on there, you know, like for veterans tax credits for employing people. I mean, everyone can get behind that bill. But then you have things like you know, like uh, there's a resolution, you know, you should you know kneel for the flag, you know, at NFL games. Well, we don't have an NFL team here in the state of Alabama, you know, so that's not a very controversial thing to to ask of folks. So it, it's not a terribly controversial agenda. One thing that's on the minds of a lot of leaders is we are seeing quite a bit of retirements in in both chambers. Um, you know, I was speaking with Del Marsh, the leader of the Senate, yesterday, and he said that he could see as many as 12 senators leaving the chamber after this year. We won't know the exact numbers until qualifying ends in February, but 12 senators leaving, that would be about a third of the chamber. So that would be a significant turnover. And not only does that affect what we could see, you know, in November, it could affect the dynamics, you know, in this year. I mean, you know, folks who are leaving the legislature do not necessarily feel the same loyalty to the caucus. That that'll be that'll be an, another interesting dynamic to watch. Uh, one thing I wonder too that has been generally supported by at least some Republicans is the idea of a gas tax. That's something that has not made it over the finish line. Do you see that coming up again? Uh, not this year. I mean, <laughs> Speaker McCutcheon last year carried that bill. And not only when it was finally defeated in the House, he called us all into like a little press room that's there on the side. And he basically said it was not only dead for 2017, he said it was dead for 2018 as well. It's just not because we're often asked like, you know, so we're going to see lottery or gambling this year. And that's just not something any legislator really wants to touch this year. Yeah, the the speaker told me yesterday he might you might see some sort of like discussion committee about approving infrastructure, but definitely not a gas tax. How much of that is the election year? How much of that is uh, just the general uh, disdain for taxes in Alabama? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let me bring up a few other, uh, I guess, recurring items that we've seen in previous sessions um, or last year's session, really, and, and how they might play into this year. We had a bill last year that would um, protect monuments. The city of Birmingham right now was in a lawsuit over a Confederate monument in a, in a downtown park. It's been generally supported by Republicans. Democrats have generally opposed it. We've got a couple of bills that would either make changes to that, repeal that. Kim, does anything come from this? From what I have heard, and I have not talked to everybody with the proposal, I think Senator Dick Brubaker of Montgomery, who is one of the retirements, has a proposal to take schools out of that and leave that as a community decision. And from the uh, members I've talked to in the Senate, they think that has at least a a good chance in the Senate to possibly get through. Uh, the idea being that uh, parents, uh, communities should have control over what those schools are named and it's a little bit different than a monument and a park erected, you know, 80 years ago. Something else that got a lot of attention last year was a bill that would place uh, regulations, or I should say the same regulations on faith-based daycares as um, non-faith-based daycares. Um, it didn't pass last year, but it did get a lot of attention. Brian, do we expect this to be back? Yes. Uh, I spoke with Representative Peblin Warren. They are working on a bill. I, as of yesterday, or actually, it, it, was, it has not been pre-filed, but it is being worked on. I understand it's going to be very similar to a compromise proposal that got out of the House last year, um, which was not as extensive as the original bill, but would have provided more oversight. Question is, as always, is what happens in the Senate. Senator Marsh says they're open to taking up the House bill, but you did have some strong pushback from some very strong conservative groups that ended up killing that legislation on the final day of the session. So what happens to it, what happens to it this year, especially in a year where they want to avoid controversy, is anyone's guess. And one other item that uh, was not successful last year, and that's um, Senator Gerald Allen of Tuscaloosa, uh, a bill that would allow concealed carry without a permit. Kim, does he get any further this year? What do you think? Well, the Senate has made clear that it's going to start in the House this year because uh, the Senate dealt with it first last year. Uh, leadership has not been that enthusiastic about that bill, but it is an election year, so we'll see. Those are the kind of bills that you know, divide two groups that, you know, you, you see the sheriffs and even sometimes business groups don't, you know, generally don't like those bills. So it, th those can be very tough sells, even in a pro-gun legislature like the one we have. Yeah, last year when the House, it went to a committee with uh, one former prosecutor and two or three former police officers, mm -hmm. I think, on the committee handling it, who were mm -hmm. a bit dubious, I think. <laughs> with all this talk of an election year, with all this talk of leadership wanting a non-controversial session, do you see any potential flashpoints, things that we could get bogged down on and eat up those days of the session? Um, I, th I think how we approach the prison issue could be a very significant significant thing uh, because corrections wants funding to increase staffing. Uh, leadership told me that they'll get the funding, but it may not be as much as they as they want, um, you know, and then we'll, we'll have other things coming in. So I think prisons would be the, the major flashpoint, but look, it's a 30-day session in a 105-day calendar period. Watching Alabama politics these last few years, anything could happen in that time period. Well, taking a step back, you know, certainly in Capitol Hill and in media and other places in society, we've seen this uh, Me Too movement, these issues around sexual harassment. We saw it in the Senate race here in Alabama with Roy Moore. And we've seen reporting out of 
Florida and out of Texas that have had some really awful stories around sexual harassment in their legislatures. I wonder, as we're heading to this session, is this an issue that you see is on leadership's mind? Do you see that it's come up at all? I am not sure about the Senate. I had a uh, conversation with the House clerk yesterday, just pulling some information, and this, the House has had a uh, policy online for some time. But to the clerk's knowledge, they've never had a written complaint filed. They've had one or two instances that were brought to them informally, verbally, and that were handled with discussion. Um, that's about as, as much as I'm familiar with that right now. Yeah, it's the same thing. I have not heard any overt talk about that at this point, but it's, it's not to say that it won't come up at some point this year. Well, before we close off this conversation, um, a lot goes on in a legislative session, even a, a short one. I wonder what's an issue that you see that might fly under the radar, but it's important not to miss. And Brian, we'll start with you. Um, I'll, I'll start locally, which is that uh, here in Montgomery, we are going to go through this session without a state senator. Quentin Ross, uh, who formerly held the seat, was appointed to the uh, Alabama State University presidency, which means that the way things work in the legislature, uh, Senator Dick Brubaker will be basically the veto on any local legislation that Montgomery wants to pass. Now, Brubaker says he is going to go the extra effort to listen to the Montgomery House delegation, which is majority Democratic. Uh, but that's something we will be watching uh, going forward. Yeah, Kim, what might fly under the radar? While it's not a bill or a particular issue, I'm interested to see how Democrats uh, react and behave in this session coming off the upset victory of Doug Jones, which is injected a lot of energy and optimism to the party where, where before there was virtually none. Uh, last couple of sessions that we've had have been pretty rancorous on partisan divides, particularly with African-American Democrats feeling like they were being run over on issues like uh, redistricting. So I think we're going to see, you know, maybe the Democrats continuing to, to punch and, and speak up a little bit this session. That's Kim Chandler. She's a State House reporter for the Associated Press. Kim, thanks. Good to have you here. Thank you very much. And also Brian Lyman. He's a state government reporter for the Montgomery Advertiser. Brian, thanks for talking with us. Uh, thanks for having me. It was great. And that's it for this edition of WBHM Politics. The show is produced by Gigi Duban and myself. Our theme song is by local Birmingham guitarist Eric Essex, and it's called Find Your Way. I'd like to especially thank Kyle Gassett. Carolyn Hutchinson and Troy Public Radio for the use of their studios in Montgomery to record this podcast. And let us know what you think. Send us a message through the WBHM Facebook page or tweet at us. We're at WBHM, or you can use the hashtag WBHMPolitics. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review. It really helps us out. I'm Andrew Yeager. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.